Are we on? Testing? Time? Good. Okay. Well, we've come to the portion of the service dedicated to the main message, so I hope you brought your Bibles with you or have them available. We'll get them out and uh, open them to the book of 1 Thessalonians in the New Testament. As Steve just sang the song, a traditional hymn for the Advent season, uh, it was Israel singing from captivity, uh, praying for God to send Emmanuel or the Messiah, and he did send him. Jesus Christ was born as the Son of God and as a man in the town of Bethlehem so many years ago. But as I said a little bit earlier, we are kind of past that as far as historically speaking, and we're now awaiting Jesus' second coming, and he has promised that he will return to the world. So we're celebrating that today, and you know, Advent means coming or arrival. So during this season, we not only celebrate Jesus coming as a baby born in a manger, but we also celebrate his second coming. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look ahead to his second coming, which is still in the future as far as we're concerned. So let's pray. Lord, as we open our Bibles today, as we study your word, give us the understanding that we need. Make it plain to us and make this not just head knowledge for us, but heart knowledge. Help this word to become a part of us. Because as that first candle stands for hope that we lit earlier, we have hope for Jesus' return. We look forward to it. It is the time of uh, our reward. It is the time that we will be changed to live with you face to face for all eternity. So fill us with hope now as we study your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When we talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ, there are many places in the Bible that we can turn, but I'm going to turn here to second, uh, rather 1 Thessalonians, beginning in chapter 4. We'll turn there for now, because in this letter, this epistle of Paul to the church at Thessalonica, he was comforting them. They had heard some rumors that supposedly Jesus had returned already, he had come back, and of course that wasn't true. That was a false rumor and a false story someone was spreading. <clears throat> and the members of the church also had questions because uh, some of their members had died recently, and they were wondering, okay, if Jesus returns, are those dead members going to miss out now on this big event? <clears throat> so Paul was addressing their questions and, and these different issues that the people had. Excuse me, I'm going to get a throat lozenge here real quick. <coughs> Just toss it. <coughs> Thank you. We're in 1 Thessalonians 4. We'll begin in verse 13. Paul writes to them, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. That's a metaphor for death. Because when you die, it looks like, for all intents and purposes, you're sleeping, but you're really not. You're dead. We don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. So certainly as Christians, we know God has informed us and he has revealed to us the fact that death is not the end of all things, that the dead will live again. And those who have no hope, as he says here, feel total depression and discouragement when they lose a loved one. We shouldn't be like that. 
certainly we, we suffer a sense of loss, but we know that there's hope for the future. We'll see that person again in the resurrection. Verse 14, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So that's a promise from God that when we lose a loved one, one who is in the faith, that when Jesus returns a second time, he is going to bring those with him. So, you know, when somebody dies, if they are Christians, if they are followers of Jesus, at the time of death, there's some aspect of us, the physical body, that goes to the ground, that is buried and it decays and it turns back to dust. Or sometimes people are cremated and certainly they are on the rapid pace to go back to dust because when they destroy the body and burn the body, it's nothing but ashes. So the physical body at death either goes to the grave or is burned up, it returns to the earth. But there's some aspect of us when we die, if we're Christians, that goes to be with God. We call it the spirit. Some call it the soul. Uh, we refer to it as, as the spirit. That's what makes humans different from animals. Animals don't seem to have the spirit in them. So this spirit that God puts in us gives us spiritual discernment. It's the part of us that goes to be with God when we die. So all of these dead Christians, when Jesus returns, he is going to bring that part of them back with him. And of course, at that time, there's going to be a resurrection of the bodies and change of the bodies that were buried and are now ashes and dust. And they're going to be glorified. And the future for all of us is going to be our spirit once again in a glorified body that is going to last for all eternity. So that's why it says when Jesus returns, he's going to bring with him those who have fallen asleep in him. Okay, the followers of Jesus, the believers, the Christians. He says here in verse 15, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. So, in other words, Paul is encouraging the church members, those individuals who have died now and have been put in the grave, when Jesus returns, they're not going to be left out. We're not going to go before them, you know, when Jesus returns to, to become glorified. We're all going to be glorified together. We who are still alive at the time of Jesus' return, in, in the flash of a blink of an eye, we're going to be changed and we're going to meet Jesus Christ. But those who have died in the faith, they will be brought with him, their spirit, and ready to go into a glorified risen body from the grave. So hopefully that's clear. Living Christians and dead Christians are all going to receive their reward at the same time at Jesus' second coming. So again, verse 15, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Verse 16, 
For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. So we won't precede them to our eternal reward. The dead in Christ will rise. We will be with them when we meet Jesus and receive our reward when our change comes. Verse 17, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now, it's interesting. When Paul encourages the church at Thessalonica with truth about the second coming of Jesus Christ, he doesn't say anything about bowls, uh, plagues, uh, seals, like the book of Revelation does. Paul doesn't think that's necessary to explain the return of Jesus Christ to the Christians there at Thessalonica. He just gives a very plain explanation. That's what was important to them. He said right here in a nutshell, in a few verses, exactly what is going to happen and exactly what we're looking forward to. Now, Turn with me briefly to John 14, verses 1 through 4. John 14, verses 1 through 4. Jesus explained to the apostles at the time a little bit about his return, that he was going to die on the cross, be buried, be resurrected, and eventually ascend back to heaven where he came from. And this is what he said to the to the apostles at that time, John 14, beginning in verse 1. He was starting to tell them that he was going to depart, and they were troubled because of that. He says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house, in other words, where I came from, you know, my, my earlier existence and where I'm going back now, he calls it my Father's house. Not a literal house, but... The dimension in which God exists, the spiritual dimension, in other words. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. So our ultimate place to dwell is going to be where God the Father, where the Son, and where the Holy Spirit dwell. It's not going to be a physical dwelling place like we have here. You know, when Jesus Christ returns, he's not going to build us the finest house that you've ever seen in Canfield or Boardman or any place else around here. Our dwelling place is going to be totally different. It's going to be a spiritual existence. We're going to be just like Jesus Christ is now, a glorified body. I suppose somewhere if we ever wanted to build a house, a physical house, we could do that. But we're going to find that this type of existence and this place that Jesus has prepared for us is going to be so far beyond our comprehension 
And it's going to be so much beyond what any physical dwelling on this earth has been for us, for however long we've lived and all the different places we've lived. We need to think spiritually because our reward is, is so far beyond what we can even imagine. But Jesus again promised he's returning to this earth and he's taking us someplace to a place that he has prepared for us. Now, some people are convinced that, well, we're going to dwell on this earth, that, that Jesus is coming here and he's setting up his kingdom here and it's going to be a physical type of dwelling. That doesn't seem to be what Jesus is saying here. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you to be with me because he's going to be there and we sure want to be there with him. He says that you also may be where I am. How do we get there? He says, you know the way to the place where I am going. What is the way? Well, to continue to be a follower of Jesus, to accept him as your Lord and Savior, to let him change you and transform you into his very likeness. And that's what he's doing with all of us right now. So just hold fast, he says. Just continue to do what you're doing. Continue to rely on Jesus, to trust in him. Yes, to worship him along with the Father and the Holy Spirit. That is the way to eventually get this reward, to go to this place that he has prepared for us. So that's one of the reasons why he's coming back to earth. To bless all of the believers, going all the way back to the beginning. And we will be included in that if we remain steadfast. So let's make sure we do that. Let's turn back now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So this is our hope. You know, we lit the candle of hope, the first of the uh, Advent candles, because we're anticipating the return of Jesus, the coming of Jesus. Not the first time that happened back in the town of Bethlehem long, long ago. We're now looking forward to his second coming, his return. First Thessalonians now, chapter 5. Paul says something very similar to what Jesus said. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the, Lord, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So we're all concerned about, well, when's Jesus going to return? A lot of people wonder about that. A lot of people have anticipated it through their lifetimes. And we're talking about millennia now. We've been waiting for his return. Still hasn't happened. He says, we do not need to write to you about this concerning times and dates. Why? Because you know the times and dates? No, we don't know the times and dates. Some churches have tried to guess the times and dates of his return. And some people have gone a long way and, and you know, written out their ideas and uh, specified, you know, uh, years when he was going to return. And all these churches have been disappointed down throughout history because Jesus didn't return when they thought he was. And as far as our denomination is concerned, we had kind of a history of doing that, setting dates and being disappointed, being sure, for sure we knew the date, and then he didn't return. But we're not alone in that. So many churches have done that throughout the years. So he says about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. Why? Because you know the time and date already? No, you don't. 
We don't need to write to you about times and dates because it's not given to you to know when Jesus is going to return. Hold your place here and turn with me back to Acts chapter 1. You know, when Jesus departed, he came to this earth as a human being, fully God and fully man, died on the cross, was buried, rose from the dead, and the time came that uh, he was going to ascend back up into heaven. And he's about to depart, and his disciples are kind of upset about it because they don't understand why he's leaving again. And they're asking him, Acts chapter 1, verse 6, so when they met together, they're here at the Mount of Olives where he's going to ascend up into heaven again. When they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Why are you leaving? We thought you came here to, to set up your kingdom on the earth to make Israel the greatest nation of all. Verse 10, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus said the same thing to the apostles when he was departing, as Paul now says to the church at Thessalonica. You don't need to know the times and the dates. It hasn't been revealed to you, so don't waste your time trying to figure it out. Just be ready for Jesus' return. But yet, throughout history, Christian history, so many churches have just done that. They, they spend so much time and effort trying to figure out when it's going to be. Paul says to the church, don't waste your time. You're not going to figure it out because God hasn't revealed it to you. If he wanted to, you to know, he would have told you. But so many churches, and even today, you know, a lot of the preachers on TV and like to focus on prophecy and major in prophecy. And every week, it seems, they've got a new idea of when Jesus is going to return and certain important individuals are going to fulfill prophecy and this and that's going to happen. So notice in this explanation here, Paul totally bypasses the book of Revelation. You know, the book of Revelation was written in a type of literature called apocalyptic. And it's a special kind of book. You see a little bit of it in the book of Daniel and a little bit of it in the, the book of Jude in the New Testament. And it's a special type of writing. It involves a lot of imagery, a lot of symbolism. Numbers are important and angels kind of revealing things. It's a beautiful book and it's basically written as an encouragement for churches that are facing persecution but was it meant to be a step-by-step -step historical record of all the events that are going to happen before Jesus Christ returns and after his, his return? You know, not all Christians believe that it is. You know, there's something called premillennial dispensationalism. And that's that whole concept that, well, you just got to study through the book of Revelation and that tells you everything that is going to happen. Step-by-step, step, it's all to be taken literally and God put that book in there so we'll know when Jesus is going to return and what to look for and all this sort of thing. You know, that concept of looking at the book of Revelation that way didn't really start until about the time of the American Civil War. Yes. Do you realize that? Yes. 
There was a man who lived in England. His name was John Nelson Darby. And right around the time of the American Civil War, he came over to this country and started preaching that. He had somewhat of a following over in England. And he started preaching that in America. And a certain line of Christians started to follow him and believe what he said. And after he died, there were certain individuals who kind of carried on his teaching. And, you know, after decades and decades, Herbert Armstrong got a hold of it and kind of caught on with that and taught part of that as well. And our church was affected by that years and years ago when our church was new and young and we were kind of prophecy-based. But when you look at Christianity worldwide, most of Christianity does not believe that the book of Revelation was written to be a step-by-step literal explanation as to everything that has to happen before Jesus returns and, and everything that's going to happen after his return. It's a, basically a symbolic book. There is meaning there. It is inspired, certainly. But notice how Paul, when he's comforting the church at Thessalonica, doesn't say anything about the book of Revelation. He just tells very plainly what's going to happen with Jesus Christ's return and the circumstances, what's going to happen exactly to the, to the believers when he returns. So he keeps saying, don't get involved in this lifelong pursuit of trying to figure out when Jesus is going to return. He says again in verse 2 of, of 1 Thessalonians 5, For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And how does a thief in the night come? Unexpectedly. <laughs> You don't know that this thief is going to break into your house. You're in bed. You're sleeping. You know, if I knew a thief was going to come to my house and break in, I'd be sitting up in the living room praying and maybe holding my gun in my hand. <laughs> okay, just to scare him off. Hopefully not to hurt him, but to, to, to scare him off. But Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night. He's going to come unexpectedly. He's going to come when you don't expect it. And you might say, well, you know, Christians are to know when Jesus is going to return, but the world's not going to know. He's speaking to Christians here. He's not saying, well, most people won't know when Jesus is going to return, but you'll know because you've got secret information. You've figured out the book of Revelation, and you've been listening to these certain preachers who supposedly explain that to you. No, he's saying, you Christians, be ready because Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night. And I think a lot of us are going to be surprised when he comes because we're going to think, well, wait a minute. The book of Revelation says the bowls and the seals and the, the this and the that, the, the trumpet. And No, you're going to hear a trumpet and a loud command from an archangel and that's it. When people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So for those of you who have been pregnant, or those of you who had wives that were pregnant, you know that when the time comes, <laughs> it's unexpectedly. My wife kick, kicks me in bed and says, yeah, I think it's time. <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm jumping out of bed looking for my car keys and trying to put my pants on to get her to the hospital. Now, if we would have known in advance that that morning was going to be the time, 7 o'clock in the morning or whenever it was, I would have been all ready. I would have gone to bed dressed. I would have had my keys in my pocket. 
but we didn't know because the pregnancy went on and on and on, and especially with our second daughter, Teresa, it was late. So we didn't know. It was overdue. Well, that's what Jesus' return is going to be like. So instead of trying to figure out when it's going to happen, be prepared. It can happen at any time. Be ready in that sense. He says in verse 4, But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of light and daughters of the day. In other words, light signifies knowledge and uh, revelation. We know that Jesus is returning. We know it can be any time. We don't wait until the very last minute. That's human nature. I want to know when Jesus is going to return so at least a month in advance I can start getting my life, you know, in order and start doing the right things. No, he says, be ready all the time. Get your life in order now. Be living the kind of life that you should now. You're not going to wait till the last week or the last month that you have before he comes because God knows human nature and he knows that a lot of people would be like that. You're all sons of the, of the light, not the darkness. Sons of the day, not the night. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Verse 6. So then let us not be like others who are asleep mentally, emotionally, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day to the, you know, understanding, knowing God, knowing what God wants of us, knowing who our Savior is. Since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. These are the... Uh, the uh, parts of the armor of God that Pastor Nora told us about a couple of weeks ago, they all represent Jesus. So when we're in relationship with Jesus, when we're praying to him, when we're worshiping him, when we're studying God's word, this is the state of being God wants us to be in. Not putting it off to the last minute, but living it now. So then you don't have to worry when Jesus returns. Instead of being fearful of his return, you're anticipating it and you're going to be happy when he returns because it's the time of our reward. Verse 9, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, in other words, whether we're living or dead at the time of his second coming, we may live together with him. He's going to take us to the place that he's prepared for us. And we're going to live face to face with him for all eternity. So he says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. So God loves it when we encourage one another. You know, times are rough. Times have been rougher. For those of you who lived through the Great Depression, times were rougher then than they are now, weren't they? And who knows, before Jesus Christ returns, is it going to get a lot worse? It very well could. And instead of just occasionally thinking about Jesus Christ's return to fix everything that's wrong on this earth, we're going to be talking about it every day. Amen. 
So let's face it, you know, there are Christians all over the world. We really have it pretty good here in America. I mean, when it comes to our standard of living, when it comes to our lifestyle, for those of you who have ever traveled to third world countries, you'll have to admit we have it really good here. You know, you read about in China, and this has happened throughout millennia of Christianity, churches are being burned by the government. Christians are being killed. This is happening today in the year 2019. By comparison, we have it pretty good. So maybe we go for a while not really thinking about the urgency of Jesus Christ's return to come and fix this whole mess. In other third world countries, trust me, Christians are thinking about it daily and, and hourly. Lord, please come back soon. Help us. We're really suffering here. And who knows, before it's all said and done and before Jesus' return, we here in America might be praying the same thing. Just anticipating Jesus' return on a daily basis, on an hourly basis. So let's not fall asleep spiritually. Let's not take things for granted. And, you know, uh, we're not thinking about our Lord all that much because we got other stuff. We're busy. It's our job. It's buying gifts for Christmas. It's, you know, all this... that normally takes up our time and attention on a daily basis. He says, you hang in there. You keep Jesus' return as your hope. You look forward to it daily. You pray. Remember, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Bring it, Lord. This earth is ready for your return. There's a lot of things that have to be fixed here. There are a lot of people who are suffering and dying. They need to be rescued by you. Thy kingdom come. Turn with me to uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 5. 2 Thessalonians chapter 5. So this is our hope, the return of Jesus. The church has been looking forward to it for 2,000 years. We are looking forward to it today, which each, each day that passes, we're one day closer to Jesus' return. He gives us a little insight on our heavenly dwelling. Jesus said he's going to take us to the place he's prepared for us so we can dwell with him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the heading here in my Bible says our heavenly dwelling. <laughs> so what's it going to be like? How is that going to happen? 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 1. Paul says this time to the church at Corinth... Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in, our physical bodies, is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So he's talking about our, our transformed human bodies that we will inherit one day at Jesus' return. We're going to be changed. You know, a lot of us in this room here have our aches and pains on a daily basis. You know, each day it seems something different hurts. And we can't do as much as we used to. We don't have the strength that we used to. Uh, we, we suffer pain. Uh, we have trouble walking. We have trouble sleeping, whatever the case may be. We're looking forward to, to a time when that's all going to be gone. There'll be no bad health. There'll be no weakness of any kind. There'll be no pain. There'll be no death. That's the hope we have for the future. That's what Jesus is going to grant us. 
He says in verse 2, Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. So as long as we have these physical bodies, especially as you get older, but you know what? Some young people even suffer with maladies and struggle with life. So we're groaning every day, you know, when you wake up and it just hurts to get out of bed. Think about this verse. Meanwhile, we groan because we're longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, this place that Jesus is taking us to that he's prepared for us, the transformed body that we're going to have at the time of his return. Those who come up out of the grave will have their new body a spiritual glorified body. We who are alive will be changed in an instant in the blink of an eye. Verse 3, he goes on to say, because when we are clothed, when we finally receive that reward, we will not be found naked. So compared to our glorified body, what we got now is a, a poor comparison. It is like nakedness. For while we are in this tent, that's a funny name for a human body, but by comparison, that's what it is. For while we're in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life, eternal life. This life that we have now, it's not meant to be eternal because we're growing old and we're headed for the grave if Jesus doesn't return before we die. That's what happens to everybody. You know, you start thinking about death and you think, well, every person that has ever lived is now dead. <laughs> so it's not something special or weird that's going to happen to you. Your, your number comes up and it's time to check out. And you, you don't know what happens, but your body heads to the grave. Verse 5. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose. What purpose have we been made for? For this ultimate change that is going to happen to us. Where we go from physical to spirit, when we go from mortal to glorified, when we go from uh, a temporary life to an eternal life with him. It is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So when we accepted Jesus as our Savior, when we repented and were baptized, we received the Spirit as a down payment to give us hope for the future and what is to come. Amen. Verse 6, Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, physical body, we're away from the Lord. Well, that's one thing about death. We all mourn death and we think, oh, how terrible this person died. But Paul is saying here, death, at least for the time being, is the only way to get up into contact with the Lord. Because don't forget, your body goes to the grave, your spirit goes up to be with God. And that's a good thing. That's a much preferable thing. Remember when Jesus was, was uh, on the cross, some of the last words he said, Father, I commend my spirit to you. Because he knew that his body was dying he was losing all his blood, hard to breathe. He was about to die on the cross. But at the time of his death, something in him, his spirit that God placed in him is going back to be with the Lord. Who was it? Stephen in Acts chapter 6 said the same thing. Remember, Stephen gave a sermon and the Jews took out rocks and were stoning him to death. He said the exact same thing. 
Heavenly Father, to you I commend my spirit. Because he knew the same thing as we're to know. So what Paul says here is even if we die before Jesus Christ returns, that's okay. Because we're going into the presence of God and that's always a better thing. He says, as long as we're still human and physical, we're away from the Lord. Verse 7, we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we shouldn't mourn death the way people who have no hope mourn death. And I've been at funerals where people just go to pieces. How am I going to carry on? How can I live anymore without my beloved, you know, father or mother or brother or sister or whatever the case may be? We should know better that death is not the end. In fact, when you die, that dead person goes to be with the Lord, his spirit or her spirit. Verse 9, so we make it our goal to please him, God, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Our whole life is about God. And you see, if that's your life, first of all, you don't have to fear death. It's just a transition point into the next life God has prepared for you. And we certainly don't have to fear the return of Jesus Christ. Because that's when our full reward will be accomplished, our glorified body. And we're going to live with him like that for all eternity. Now, there are people who worry about Jesus coming because they're going to have to face judgment. And they know that they've been really bad people and they've never chosen Jesus as their savior. So I guess, yeah, they should worry. They should be concerned. And the book of Revelation pictures it as when Jesus returns, they say rocks fall on us, you know, hide us from view of, of this one coming in the sky. So you're going to have a group of people, Christians, who are going to be welcoming Jesus' return. They're going to rise up in the air to meet him. And you're going to have a whole group of people who are fearful, who are horrified. That this one is returning who they didn't believe even existed. And when a talk was of a final judgment happening, they poo-pooed that idea. Ah, final judgment. That's a bunch of nonsense. Well, all of a sudden, here's the one who was prophesied to come back to be the judge of all. Verse 10. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, our judgment is going to be different than the judgment of the unbelievers. Our judgment has to do with reward. You know, there's a scripture that says judgment is now on the church. When God judges, you know, we know that our salvation is not based on our efforts, how good we were versus how bad we are. Our judgment is based on grace. Our salvation is based on grace. We're saved, not because of what a good boy or a good girl we've been all our lives. We're saved because we know we're sinners and we know we need help. And we have accepted Jesus Christ and his death on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. So our salvation is based on grace. So you see, when Jesus comes to, when he returns and we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, notice he goes on to say that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So when it comes to judging Christians, our judgment has already happened. 
judgment is now on the church. Are you going to receive Jesus as your savior or not? Are you content to just remain in your sins? Or do you want God's gift of salvation through Jesus Christ and his righteousness applied to you? Well, as far as I know, most of us in this room here have made that decision. Yes, I am a sinner. I want Jesus' gift of grace to uh, apply to me. And when you do that, God says, so be it. We repent of our sins. That doesn't mean we never sin anymore. We repent of our sins, accept Jesus' gift of grace, claim him as our Savior, and we do that every day. I have a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. That isn't something that I said just back in the day when I was baptized. I reclaim that every, every day of my life. I say, thank you, Lord, for being my Savior. When I sin, I, th- I say, Lord, I'm sorry I did that, but I know I have faith that Jesus Christ's death covers that sin, and it's forgiven. So we are in the process of judgment right now, and when it comes to Christians, our time of judgment, you know, that word or the phrase used there for judgment and judgment seat has to do with, like at the Olympics, Remember, like the first, second, and third winner of the race, who came in number one, number two, number three, they stand on this podium, and they receive a medal. That's what Christian judgment is all about. God's going to look at your life. You've already got salvation through Jesus Christ. You've claimed that, and you've been given that by grace, but now God's going to look a little bit more closely at your life and say, you know, those people that you help come to salvation, that person you preach the gospel to, or all those works of service that you did in your life. You went around the neighborhood and helped people. You were kind to people. Wow, here's some rewards for you. We don't know what those are going to be like, but God takes note of everything we do in this life, good and bad. Now, the bad has been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, but the good... The good God is going to reward that. Amen. Those are all the good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do, as the scripture says. And you know what? You did them. And God hasn't forgotten. And it pleased God, and he's going to recognize you for those things that you've done. So that's what the return of Jesus Christ is all about. It's going to be a time of judgment but you're going to receive what is due you for the things that you've done. The bad things, those have been covered by the blood of Jesus, and they're forgiven. But the good things will be recognized. And that's going to be a part of you for your entire eternal life. So be on the ball. First of all, don't waste time trying to figure out when Jesus is going to return. It's going to happen. You're going to hear a loud trumpet call, and you're going to hear a loud command of the archangel, and Jesus will be there. You're going to see him come just as he departed. How did he depart? He ascended up into the air, and the apostles were standing there looking at him. And the angel came up to them and said, what are you guys standing here for, looking up in the sky? He's going to return the same way he departed. So he's not going to arrive in a plane or on ship or in a train. He's going to come back down from from the heavens above, okay? And at that time, he's going to gather all the believers, those living and those that are dead. The ones dead and buried are going to come out, out of their graves at that time, and the ones living will be changed in the blink of an eye. We'll all become spiritual. We'll all have glorified bodies. 
Our living ones will be changed. The ones that are dead will come out of their graves with a new body. No more physical, no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more death. So that's why we look forward to the coming of Jesus. He's our hope. He's the hope for the whole world, even though they don't realize it now. So we look forward to that. We have that hope, that burning candle of hope in each of our lives. And like I said, he's going to come quickly, like a thief in the night. Uh, probably at a time where we least expect it. So don't make yourself a, uh, a, a chain of occurrences that you've convinced yourself have to happen before he returns. Because you may be very surprised. He may show up long before whatever vials or uh, thunderings or uh, woes that you've already figured out you think have to happen. So you can get ready at the last minute. Don't do that. Be ready now. Amen. Be ready every day. And I think we're all going to be surprised when it happens. Maybe we're even not going to expect that day for it to happen. But it's going to be a good thing. We're going to see loved ones again. We're going to receive our reward. And it's going to be some kind of time like the earth has never seen before or ever will see again. So the first candle of Advent is the candle of hope. And that's what our hope is all about. Jesus' ultimate return, and I guarantee you, it will happen. In my lifetime or yours, I don't know. Neither do you. But it will happen, and each day that passes, we're one day closer. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word today. Help us to keep it simple in our beliefs and in our understandings. All we have to do is focus on you. All we have to do now is to remain loyal, remain steadfast, to be awake, to be alert, and uh, you're going to return, and it's going to be for all of our benefit. And for the benefit of the whole world, even though they may have to go through troublesome times. So, Lord, help us to keep busy, to fulfill the great commission you've given us of preaching the gospel, not just as a church, but as individuals. Help us to live the gospel every day so people can take note of our lives and perhaps desire to have what we have. So thank you, Lord. We love you. We look forward to your return. We pray that it comes soon. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.